1: Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello,
2: everybody, and welcome once again to the show, made possible, as always, by the great crew at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Now, this week... We are very fortunate to be joined by a man who has a very sharp eye for talent, footy talent that is. Noel Judkins has spent close to half a century as a VFL, AFL recruiter trusted by Essendon, Richmond and Collingwood where he's handpicked some of the greatest players to ever play the game. The son of a Brandlow medalist and a promising player in his own right, Noel's love for assembling teams was obvious from the outset. And Noel, Noel Judkins, a great pleasure to have you on the show mate and welcome aboard.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure mate.
2: Now, you were the AFL's, I think, first full-time recruiter and are known as one of the greatest recruiters in the history of the game. It's not a bad conversation starter down at the local, is it?
0: No, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, it only came about the full-time part in recruiting because uh when he signed up to be coach of Essendon uh, at the start of 81, part of his uh, demands was to have a full-time recruiting guy because he'd... Been the promotions officer for the VFL, um, and I worked in the same office as him, you know, side by side on the same desk, really, at Richmond for four years. Mm. And he was greatly involved in uh, conversations with Alan Swab and and Jack Hamilton, and Swabby was sort of pushing that there was going to be a draft. Uh, she'd picked up that Information and uh, part of his want was a full time recruiting, Blake, to get in front of all the other clubs. Wouldn't be so. The, so would, I went from Richmond <laughs> to Western.
2: Wouldn't be the first time Sheeds would prove to be ahead of the game, would it? So, um, no. I mentioned the local. What What is the local? Where do? Where do we find you, Noel?
0: Oh, I'm just sitting at home at the moment. Uh, in Clifton Beach, in 30k's uh, north of uh, Cairns. We've been here 13 years.
2: Beautiful. Footy, footy. Lovely in... spot.
0: It's hot at the moment. It's about, it'll be about 32, 33 today. Oh. We're hoping for some rain for the first time for oh, about, man. must be three months. It's All very right, that, dry up that, that
2: That's enough. That's enough. We're not going to talk about weather anymore. Um, the footy in Queensland, I know, no, this is the game's new footy factory, isn't it?
0: Yeah, they've done a really good job. They've uh, We've got a full-time guy up here. Uh, I haven't met him, but uh, he's full-time development guy for the Gold Coast Suns, so he. he he looks at the games up here, runs clinics, I suppose, and sort of organises outside AFL Cairns to get kids uh, ready to go down into the academy at the Gold Coast. There's quite a few players that have come out of Cairns. Um, I can't name them all at the moment. Mm. Uh, Charlie Dixon's one. Shea Two Collins was here before he went to um, to Port Adelaide. Oh, gee, I, the names escape me, but there's been quite a few
2: yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're speaking uh, what less than a week after the 2023 AFL National Draft and, and all the rest of it. What what do your engagement levels with the draft look like these days, Noel? You're still doing some stuff for the Bombers, aren't you?
0: Yeah, I just noticed that uh, Teddy Hopkins. Yep. Um, and he his company, uh, Champion Data, provided a um, uh, a system where it's called Scout. Yep. and the clubs buy that system and I get a, a part of that system and I can watch any player in Australia by video I don't watch games up here uh, but I watch West Australia, South Australia Coach League, uh, the VFL, the AFL and they assign me uh, Rob Foster Knight he assigns me something to do for the year And uh, I sort of just do that probably, well, I don't know, 20 hours a week.
2: I was going to ask you about the advancements in technology. Like for someone who started full time, as you said, in 1981, to think that what you have on tap now in terms of IT, the vision, obviously, Scout and the creation of Champion Data and that massive platform, I mean, in your day, if you weren't at the ground, well, I might as well have not have happened.
0: You're Right. I can remember uh, in South Australia, for example, you'd get uh, you get the newspaper, the Sunday paper, to look at the stats. Get that on the Monday, and you look at all the stats and see how guys went. But you weren't looking at junior footy, other than probably the Teal Cup in those days. But to watch to watch Vision in South Australia, I discovered a company sort of at the back of the parade where Norwood play, and uh, I went to them, and they said, look, we can supply one game a week. You pay for the you play for the the film, and you'll have to pay the wage for the the guy on the camera, and we'll supply anything you want. So you ring us on a Friday, and um, we'll go to the game on the weekend, and we'll sell it, and we'll sell it to you. And the ABC did one a week. So you got two games a week uh, that you could watch, but you didn't. It didn't have any editing equipment or anything like yeah. that. So you just sat sat down when they arrived about on the Thursday and watched the games. Did that ever? And that did, was about all the vision you got. Didn't get any vision out of West Australia, the under 19 competition in Victoria, which zoning was still in, in in the country and metropolitan those days. So you didn't get any vision of anything else there. Did and it? There
2: did it pay off? No. Did did it pay Sorry? off? Did did it pay off? Did the Norwood video connection ever lead to anything?
0: Yeah. Um. I used to get it for about four or five years I suppose I I paid I paid for those games, I don't know if anybody else did. I might have told a couple of other guys, like Bill McMaster at Geelong or something like that, that, that I was getting him and he may have got the same things, but when you when you say you told people, you were trying to find out what they were doing too, mm-hmm. so you shared your information to get information. Yeah, th- those things led to, you know, players that, you know, Michael Ache, for example, we signed Michael Ache at, at Richmond, he never came, but that was through Vision.
2: I just wonder, like, are you like the rest of us and just marvel at the, you know, the size, the wingspan, the height, the athletic gifts of the modern-day draftee because they seem to get bigger and faster almost by the year, Noel.
0: It is mind-boggling. Like, when you look at the draft the other night, you had three kids that were over 204, uh, and when you watch them play... They're all athletic. Mm. Like the boy from South Adelaide, Goad. He's got a long way to go in his footy knowledge and everything. But he ran, I think, at the testing. I think he ran about a 2.96 20 metres. You know, you're looking at midfielders and uh, and wingers and stuff to run. You know, below three seconds. And he's he's doing it at 2.96. I think he jumped. His uh, uh, running vertical jump was 95 or something like that. And you think, well, geez. Uh, He's got all the, all the athletic profile. He's just got to pick his footy up a little bit. He kicks the ball well. He uh, can break out of the centre with the ball. He, his marking's not too bad, but just where to run and everything, he's, he'll learn that pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, and I guess the other, the other term, like flight risk, is a term that gets thrown around a lot these days. Homesickness is another one. I guess, has a truly national competition made your line of work harder in that sense, you know, the go-home factor? Uh, look,
0: some, some people take it into account, and some people don't worry about it. I think a lot of it's to do with the culture of your club. You know, there's, if you look at Western, you know, West Coast Eagles with Shuey and all those guys that went over there straight after draft, they didn't come back. Yeah. They, well, they haven't so far. You know, there's quite a few there. The young kid from Dan Long Stingway's Hayden Young, he's, he, he, he looks like he's pretty settled at Fremantle. And in, in reverse, you know, you've got... You guys are all clubs that, that stayed. You know, when you look back at players that played years ago, there's quite a lot of South Australians and Victoria and Western Australians. Uh, living in Victoria in their retirement. Yeah, Well, well, I mean, the
2: the poster boy might be Matthew Pavlich, who never uh, once entertained coming back to Adelaide, I don't think, and now happily retired and and living in Perth. I guess the professional standards as well these days is an extension to that, like that they're made to uphold in today's day and age. And also the scrutiny is higher than it's ever been. The media, the the money at stake is more than it's ever been. And we often hear players, you know, coming through described as quote-unquote good citizens. I guess, did you ever go to watch a player Fall in love with a player, and then the interview just had the alarm bells ringing
0: many, many times. And did um, you and yeah. did you
2: flinch or do you run the course?
0: Oh well, depending how depending how how bad the indiscretions <laughs> have been. Um, <laughs> if you go back, you know, through history and you, and you look at the guys that were played uh, when I started seventy eight, you know, probably through to ninety. It all it depended on who was the coach, yeah, and who who let. People get away with what?" Um, because of the fact that you know, they had full time jobs and they did things outside of footy. they weren 't at the club all the time, like four times for training and then playing and then re- rehab and stuff like that. Now you know if you, want to, if you want to name someone who was an absolute superstar and a fantastic person that lived a different lifestyle, it was Vander. Yeah, Paul Vanda, like you know, you wouldn't get a, a a better club person than Vander. Christ, he was one of those guys that was never missed a function, uh, was always happy to talk to the the supporters and all that. But he was a different cat, you know. Yeah, and I, and um, I'm
2: not I'm not uh, without talking about Paul Van der specifically though. You, is it just me, or do you reckon clubs could absorb more back then than you can now in 2023?
0: No doubt. It? Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I can remember. Little things like, and you learn, and Shude's learnt pretty quickly, and he learned a lot through Malcolm Brown with the Indigenous boys. Uh, I had a handle. I can remember Longy getting homesick and Shude said, "Look, just go home for two weeks." Yeah, it, it'd probably happen now. But it'd be unlikely, and you've got to think too that in those days, uh, the footy manager and the recruiter and the coach were the guys that looked after the people off the ground. We we didn't have uh, three or four people in welfare, yeah, looking after their needs and you know making sure that they do some sort of after footy study or or um, knowing what they're going to do when they retire. Uh, so those guys. Those welfare people are really, really important in making sure people stay at clubs. Um, I I can remember when it would have been mid-2000s, we didn't have anybody at Collingwood, and I talked Barmy and Greg Swan into putting Derek Hine on in that area, and I got sick. I told them that Derek had uh, had done a terrific job with the welfare for, for two years and suggested he become the recruiting bloke, and it's 2023 and he's still there. That was Derek's strength, about how to handle people, how to talk to people. Um, and and uh, we worked side by side for you know, five or six years before I retired full-time in 2010. And his his knowledge in the welfare area really helped him.
2: Hey, great David company on This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. So growing up as the son of a Brownlow medalist, Noel Judkins was always surrounded by the game, and Noel's fascinating footy upbringing is up after this.
1: Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your
2: Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Footy's renowned recruiter Noel Judkins is our guest today. So, no, Noel, growing up as the the son of Stan Judkins, the Brownlow medalist of Richmond of 1930, in fact, the Tigers' first Brownlow medalist. What what on earth was that like?
0: Yeah, it was great. Uh, look, Dad never stuck his nose into the footy. Um, he'd sort of... I'd come home from the footy and he'd, he'd been to watch... He works Saturday mornings, uh, so if I played in the afternoon or after lunch, he'd, he'd come and watch. The only thing he ever said to me really was, what you do that for? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he never stuck his nose in. Um, I can remember when Graham Richmond come down to recruit me at the end of 1962, and, uh, it, it, and it was Graham's first year as uh, Secretary of Richmond, and... Uh, and he he was an unbelievable person. And he came in the lounge room and started talking in his fashion way, to, spoke and all this sort of stuff. And uh, Dad said to him, uh, who's going to be coaching the under-19s? And uh, reluctantly, I think, I think Graham said, oh, Ray Jordan. And Dad said, not that little bastard, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I said, and, and, and he said, "No, he would be fantastic." And uh, he was for me. Uh, Slug was just unbelievable, you know, until the day he passed, where we were just great friends. He spoke at my fiftieth and stuff like that. You yeah. know, he was, he, I learned a lot off him—not the swearing part—but uh, I learned a lot of him mm-hmm. about just how to play the game.
2: Given your given your old man and his footy journey, like was it as far back as you can remember? Was it always footy? Was there ever anything else? Was it a was it a footy household?
0: No, not really. He'd watch. For example he'd watch World of Sport yeah. um and he'd uh, and Jack Dyer was his mate and he'd be sitting there on one end and uh Neil Roberts would be sitting up the end and Dad would be going, Oh, that bloody Roberts listen look at him, he's bloody always he's always bloody against everybody, blah 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 <laughs> and there's a funny story about that if you wanna if you wanna hear it. Uh Dad used to go to the Brownlow Metal uh presentation every every year and he used to go with Ross Smith. Mm. Ross would pick him up, I, I'm, and before that, uh, the Collingwood, uh, I just can't think of his name, uh, Collingwood uh, Brownlow medicine of the late 30s would take him, and then he didn't go anymore, so Ross would pick him up, and one night at the Brownlow, I was at mum and dad's place with my wife, and uh, Ross had gone over to dad halfway through the night, and he said, uh, look, I can't take you home, I've got to go now, there's a family emergency or something, he said, but I've arranged for you to go home with Neil Roberts, and dad said, oh, jeez, I hate Neil Roberts. Oh, God, I've got to go with Neil Roberts. Oh, no. He said it was running through my mind. And about half past 12, he crashes through the front door and he says to Mum, I've just missed the... just met the greatest bloke I've ever met in my life. And I said, who did you come home with? He said, oh, Neil Roberts. I said, do you hate Neil Roberts? He said, oh, no, I love him now. He's the best bloke I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: well,
0: that was his involvement with the footy, going to meet his old mates at the, uh, the Brownlow. Uh, I,
2: I love that. I love that. But, but in 1930 itself, like the Brownlow carried little ceremony, didn't it? Like I, I think the winner was actually notified – maybe even by snail mail, and, and, and perhaps even told to come and collect the award from the VFL office. But in 1930, there was a three-way tie with your old man, wasn't there, of course?
0: Yes, there was. Uh, and Dad always, uh, and to this day, I I, I still remember exactly how he, how he was about it when I saw it. I wasn't born until 45. But, you know, through the 50s and 60s, he, he'd go to the Brownlow. Mm. He used to take my wife and... Um, He'd come home and say, oh, those other two guys, they should be there, they should be there, and he and he went to the AFL, oh, 82, 83, 84, he died in 86, but he was always going in, well, BFL, and... Com- and not complaining, but suggesting that all these guys that have been ties should get brownlows. Yeah, and he righteous. came out publicly yeah. in, the, in the paper and everything, in, you know, local paper, the Sandringham News or something. And he always say, yeah, but I shared this and those guys should. And he and he used to call in on, on Alan Hopkins. On, and Dad used to go to Queensland with mum every year and uh, he'd drive up and he'd always call and see Alan Hopkins. And he didn't see Harry Collier much, um, but he was always uh, appreciative of knowing that Harry would welcome him at his home at any time. But I can remember when it happened uh, and they got their medals. I rang both of them. I don't, I can't remember if I spoke to them personally or they might, or someone in the family. And I just explained that Dad would have been over the moon because he'd been dead for you know two or three years. Yeah. Uh, And he he was so proud of the fact that he was as good as them.
2: Amazing. Uh, Yeah, the retrospective medals were great. And I think the story goes, you know, your old man might have been sitting at home when, you know, his dad, your grandfather, came in to show him a copy of the the newspaper that actually had the article stating that he won the Brownlow. So it shows you how far the Brownlow might have come.
0: It's a a story that people should know. uh, And you've got to keep in mind what's happened now with the paparazzi and the photos and the glory and all that. He was. He, he came home, and his father walked up to him and said, you've got a telegram. Yeah. And he read the telegram, and it says, uh, you know, you've won the Brownlow Medal. Can you, can you be at AFL headquarters in Spring Street uh, at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night? <laughs> so he caught the train and into just opposite Flinders Street Station. There was a station. I can't think of the name of it now. And he was early, so he walked up. Swanson Street to Latrobe La Street, walked up Latrobe Street, to Spring Street, walked back down Spring Street, and the office was down there, um, the corner of Spring Street and Flinders Street, and he got there just in time and walked in. They welcomed him, took him in, uh, had a cup of tea and cake, and uh, they presented him with the medal. And he was on the 8:30 train back to back, back to Greensborough. <laughs> so he got a telegram the next day that they'd forgotten to take a photo, and could he come back and be at the on the roof of the Herald Sun offices in Flinders Street, and they will take a photo.
2: Amazing. Absolutely amazing, isn't it? Uh, yeah. to, to think. And what about your playing journey, Noel? You played for Richmond under nineteens. You mentioned you played at reserve level as well. I think.
0: Yeah, played probably twenty or thirty games, maybe in the reserves, and that was that was good because I started uh, in sixty three. So I played quite a few games sixty three, four, and then sixty five. Broke my ankle up at um, at Carlton. John, trying to take a mark in the goal square on a bloke called John Bernatti's back who was about as as wide as a bloody pickup truck and uh he just walked away from under me and I broke my ankle that was it and then Graham called me in and said um that's about it son what do you want to do yeah so I went to Sandringham didn't have a great career at Sandringham we got scarlet fever and missed the rest of the season started really well played up Half a dozen really good games, and got scarlet fever. Was crook. The next year, I tore tore hamstrings badly. Howard Toyn, who was the Olympic doctor at the time, told me never to play again. I started. I tried to play. Um, was buggered. Went to Morty Alec. Um, played there for a while, half pace virtually, and then coached their under 19s for three years and then wrote a letter to the club and said, look, what are you doing, you guys? Um, you've got a couple of people that can raise good money and you're finished on the bottom ladder. You should do something about it. You're better than that. So they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'll go and recruit a heap of players and we'll have a go winning second division. That was the end of 74. And we'll have a three-year plan to win the premiership in 1977. Yeah. And we did,
2: and that and that's how it started. Although, am I right in saying you know even as far back as primary school and all the way through there were signs of the career that you later carve out, wasn't there? Like the picking of the teams. Tell tell oh, me yeah. about that. Tell me about that obsession.
0: Oh, I'd get home from school <laughs> and we'd have a game coming up. i probably in uh, grade five or something, and we'd have a game coming up. The five and six year olds would be playing east sandring. I was at black rock, so I'd pick the team and. Um, yeah, just, I wouldn't give it the teacher or anything. It was just me. I'd pick the team, and then next week I'd pick the team. He'd be out, and he'd be in, and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then started playing footy later at East Sandringham, the great East Sandringham football club, and I'd pick the team. I'd just pick it. I'd, I'd pick Richmond's team on a Thursday night before it came out, and I wouldn't have been watching the games, but I'd pick the team and think, from what I'd read in the paper, who had been good in the reserves and who might be injured and so on. I'd pick the team, then I'd listen to the team, and, oh, shit, I didn't go that too bad. Yeah. And that just progressed everywhere I went. Everything I did, I was always picking teams, um, and, I, and 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 trying to and trying to make people play in positions where they weren't accustomed. And I had a I had a bit of a fetish. Um, I was pretty good at picking blokes at, uh, that were forwards that would finish up playing full-back. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's still the same now. It's still the same. I can, I, I still say to our guys, oh, don't,
3: don't worry about him.
0: He might be okay down the back line, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, at, it was just a thing that I had I, and I used to do it with sheets you know Paul Weston uh, came over played in the centre played at Ruck River so he might be alright at full back for us and he played full back for four or five years and two premierships you know that sort of thing
2: yeah, you know. yeah. we're with uh, one of the VFL AFL's best recruiters Noel Judkins is here with us for this is your journey thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives Noel identified some of the biggest names in the game and his honour roll is after this
1: Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition
2: of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest had an ability to spot greatness when many others couldn't. We're with long-time AFL recruiter Noel Judkin. So, Noel, I'm just curious, how often did the coach, the club board, or even anyone else at the club at any given time, interfere with your choices when it came to the players you wanted to draft in? Like, did you feel you had... The authority that you needed more often than not?
0: Yeah, it, it's, it, it was a bit embarrassing, really. Um, I got there in 81 to Essen. I'll talk about Essen at first. Got to Essen in 81. And got introduced to the board, and it was a 15-man board, and I think 11 on the board. Right, it was either 11 or 12 were Premiership players, and I'd never played a senior game. And uh, you're looking around, there was Don McKenzie and Barry Capuano, Greg Sewell, um, Ron Evans, the great Ken Fraser, Teddy Ford, and all those guys. You go, straight, you know. But I must admit, they uh, and part of my thing was to. Coming from Richmond, who were really tight with the pennies, um, they gave me my own budget. I ran my own budget. Those are all in my demands. Um, my own budget. I could do what I want with it uh, as long as I was—I um, balanced the books. And um, the only time they really ever sort of pulled us in, Shades and I, were the year we drafted Longy, and um, we, Shades and I just wanted Longy and, uh, at our first pick, and we had... Couple of picks earlier, you know, around ten or eleven or twelve, yep. and they pulled us in into a the, uh, the board meeting, and they said, "Look, we understand what you're doing. It's you know, we're not against it, but we would really think that you should consider getting two taller players earlier." And we went, "Oh," so we did. We drafted two taller players, and that went round the table. It was at the the, uh, the draft was at AFL House, and you're sitting beside it, uh, like I'd be sitting here with Shude's beside me, and on the other side of Shude's would be another two guys from another club, so you didn't have any room. Yeah. You were just sitting there. You know, you had your hand round like you did at school to keep your, the, the kid sitting next to you from seeing your work it was and like wi- that
2: and good at whispering I'd imagine as well
0: yeah that sort of thing and it, it went round the table and uh, was coming down our side of the table and I said there was only a couple of picks to go and I said we're going to get we're going to get Michael Long and she said oh, you know, we couldn't be so lucky and the two teams in front of us I think it was maybe Geelong and Footscray or something and they picked two other blokes and I couldn't get the name out quickly enough and she just threw his arm around me and he said "Geez, a couple of we got the best player
2: in the draft. So yeah, you got him. You uh, and got whether him. it
0: was, I can't remember who was earlier, but whether it was, he was such a great player.
2: You got him at twenty-three, and it was Michael yep. Werner and Brad Fox you, you, you took with, right. with your first couple yeah. of picks. Two Anonymous. great blokes
0: too. Yeah, yeah. lovely fellows.
2: Now I know it was the nineteen ninety draft, but how on earth? I'd love an explanation on this. How on earth does James Albert Heard last until pick seventy-nine? I mean. What, he, what is going on there? How many things did he have to smooth out as a player to be going at 79, Noel?
0: Well, it's a really good story, and there's been a lot written about it. Someone wrote in the age years ago uh, uh, about some fantasy story, which was totally wrong. And I wrote back to the guy and said, look, I can't remember you ever sitting in any of our recruiting meetings um, to the journalist anyway. What happened was um, there was a guy who was a trainer at Essendon, he was. He went to. He left, and he, he and his job. He got transferred to Albury, and he went to Albury. And about a couple of years later, he rang me up and he said, "Look, I'm I'm been transferred to Canberra. What club should I go to?" Mm. And I said, "Look, Ainsley's the best club, and they've done really well. And our, our weights coach, Freddie Lehman, had joined the army, and he was going to be the, the fitness coach at at, um, at Ainsley." I said, go, "Ring up it. Uh, ring up." Um, Freddie, and go to Ainsley. And halfway through the next year, John rang me back and said, thanks very much, it's been great, but do you know there's a kid playing here called James Hurd, and it's Alan Hurd's son and Alan Hurd's senior's grandson. He said, he goes all right, Um, so you better have a look. So I went up and watched him play at uh, Footy Park up there, and sat with his dad, Alan, and a lovely man, and watched the kid play, he was playing in the reserves, going okay, looked a bit slow, um... And he was not free in his action. And he got in the Teal Cup side, Camera had their own team. Uh, he came down to Melbourne, they were playing at Sunshine and I can't remember their player. but I sent two guys there, Donny Gross and another guy, Ian Lally, and they went and watched and they came into the meeting on the Thursday and I said, how did that kid herd go? And they said, Oh, he broke his arm in the first quarter. Mm. Or, or similar, I can't remember exactly, oh, that's not good, so he was out next year he gets in the Teal Cup team to go to Brisbane, and the year Kevin Wanganum was in for South Australia. And something happened, he didn't play again. So we went and watched him play, sent a couple of guys up to watch him play, and he was still restricted in his movement and stuff. So I said to his dad, what's wrong? He said, oh, he's got some something wrong in his hip. So we got our doctor, the great Bruce Reed, God rest his soul. Mm. He um, he got in touch with someone at the AIS. They got him tested, and they said, no, nah, look, it's a growing thing. He'll be okay. So we thought, oh, well, you know, we'll keep looking at him. He had great hands, had a bit of a awkward ball drop, but just knew where he was playing hard forward flank. He just knew where to go. He was playing in the reserves. And at the end of the year, Sydney could take three players out of Canberra as part of uh, as part of their zone or development. And they had three players named. And John Reid um, played for Footscray, might have played for Melbourne. He rang me, he was the football manager, and we got on really well. And he said, look, we've got it down to three. Are you going to do anything with James Hurd? And I said, I thought, well, I'm not going to bullshit. I said, yes, we are. And it's a, it's a, a pretty hot thing with, you know, with the mm. um, father-son thing and all that sort of stuff. Well, grandfather-son thing. Anyway, uh, he said, that's okay. We'll take the other, other two. So they took the other two boys who never made it. You know, you had a lot of picks in those days because you still had the under-19s. And there was all of these restrictions around Australia. Like, uh, you couldn't go into Western Australia. There was restrictions there. It had to be... Um, you had to be 23 and all that stuff. And they had the retention scream in South Australia. Zoning had gone out in the country in Victoria and you still had the fully under 19s and no one was interested in James hurt because we kept in touch with dad and no, 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 no. So we just left him and left him and then Cheats turned around. He said, we better take Herdy now. So we did.
2: Unbelievable. Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah. 79. I know. It doesn't jump off the page. Um, Dane Swan in your Collingwood days, I think you might have even been the only one that paid him a visit, or oh, him and his old man Billy. Yeah. Anyway, he was a, I think by all reports he was a tad lazy. Maybe he had that awkward kick, which he probably carried all the way through. To be fair, but he had plenty of other things going for him, which you were able to spot pretty early on. Look,
0: you know, if he can play, it doesn't matter if you play ugly. Um, he and he played ugly, but um, and I. I Sure, he got dropped out of the of Cannons and went back to St Bernard's or something during the year. But we had a guy called Frank Johnson, and Frank Johnson was the son of the great Frank Johnson, Port Melbourne legend, South Melbourne player who broke Bobby Skilton's record run of um, Best fairest Ferris uh, in his first year, and he was 28. We had his son, Frank, working for us, and Frank was a, you know, a really uh, straight liner, bank manager, and uh, he was one of my spotters. And he also ran the um, the squad for, under-16 squad, I think, for a colder. And I asked him, I said, what's Dane Swan like? When did you, you have it here? A year or two ago, he said, oh, he's a bit lazy. Uh, doesn't really know if he you know, sort of wants to do it or not. But he's got good hands. Um, he's quick, but... He needs to pick up his endurance and all that sort of stuff. So I'd been watching him and thought, well, he's a kid that actually knows where the ball's going all the time. You know, he, he wasn't a massive possession when he was playing half forward, but he knew how to take the ball off the pack before it got below eye eye level, and you and yeah, you, you don't see that very often. Leon yeah. Baker was a bit like that, yeah. And, but he, he but Swanee was doing it at pace, and then he'd he'd kick a wobbler and it'd go through, and you know, okay, so. I went out and spoke to him uh I'm pretty sure we were the only people that spoke to him because of his as you said Zam. he had unfashionable traits and um we got him in i think picked fifty eight or fifty nine or something mm. and he was he took a while to get going and uh he got matey uh with um all the became the rat pack <laughs>
3: That's it.
0: and benny Benny Johnson had been drafted the year before or something and became a good mate, and ben was a good honest kid, um, tries his heart out, trained his heart out and he just said to Swanee, listen, you train with me and you'll make it and Benny for all one summer just ran the shit out of bloody Swanee and he came back, uh, Mick had had a big go at him and said, look, you will probably be off the list if you don't pick yourself up. And he, he just went from there. So they're, it, they're, just, it was just yeah, unbelievable.
2: It was, and they all are, and they all were. And, and these are all great stories. But, I mean, when you're doing it as long as you uh, have been, Noel, I guess we, we celebrate the wins. What about the mistakes? I mean, your line of work's so difficult. It's a bit like gambling to a certain extent. You know, the, the house is going to win a lot of the time. So what percentage of guys didn't quite live up to what you thought they could? Oh,
0: a large percentage. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I probably picked a few good players, but I picked more that weren't so good. But the the thing, it's, it's, a, it's totally different now. Like in those days, I said before, you had the under-19s to fill, yeah. and you didn't have anywhere to go and draft. Like that, when I said about Western Australia, they get sick of losing a lot of players to Victoria, so they made a, a, a rule that you had to fulfil two or three requirements be 23, play 110 games, or played for five years in the waffle. Now that, that cut everybody out until they got to a certain, you know, t- till they got those two requirements. And in South Australia, they brought in a, a government-funded um, scheme that was, I think, sort of sponsored by Raffle or you know, um, whatever public public money, a retention scheme, and they got money if they captain, they got money if they played a certain amount of games. They got money if they played for the state. So guys were reluctant to go. So you had to fill, you had to fill your teams, and you had to try to improve. Um, so you took a lot of players that just weren't up to it, but you were trying to make a, You were trying to make them better. And yeah, you had I got Slug Jordan to, to come and coach for five years and get the get the the uh, the kids going uh from 86 to the, or 85 86 to 90 91 till under nineteens went out and in that time um you know we did a really good job with our, our junior development uh, a guy called noel, Bo- noel Bosch and myself we we brought in a whole heap of kids and i think at 10 or 11 of those guys played in the 93 premiership but the, the mistakes as you get back to the mistakes it, during that time made a lot a lot of mistakes there's less mistakes made now, yeah, um, yeah, because of the the scrutiny. Yeah,
2: it's more it's more refined, and that that's that's obvious. It was a high degree of difficulty back when you were absolutely in your prime. But what what about the biggest what if, Noel? Like if if James Heard is a what was? What about the equivalent what if? Is there one that got away that perhaps stayed with you? I mean, I know Craig Bradley's been mentioned over time. You were priced out of it by Carlton. Is there a big what if that that lives on with you to some extent?
0: Yeah, well, 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 Craig Bradley. Um, he he was signed on a Form 4 before I got to Essendon. Um, that was through a guy called Lindsay McGee, who coached uh, the under-19s at Port Adelaide, and he was a very good friend of Kevin Egan, a footy manager. And Kevin had uh, played at Port Adelaide for a year or so, and he was great friends with Lindsay, and Lindsay played at Essendon. And so, so that's how that came about. But the one probably that really annoyed me a lot... Uh, was Pickett that went to North Melbourne.
2: Mm, Byron, yeah.
0: Yeah, Byron. Um, We were the only people to talk to him too. And um, we talked to him and his manager. It wasn't actually a manager in those days. It was just a friend. And we sat down and talked to him and he was absolutely 100% sure that he was coming to wrestling because no one else had spoken to him. We... I watched him play one day at Port Adelaide, and he ran through the fence and broke the fence down at at uh, at, at Alberton. And I went, for God's sake, he hit that fence. And he he actually broke the fence. And I <laughs> I thought, he's a pretty hard kid, this kid. And he was flying down from, I don't know, somewhere in Port Augusta or Perry or something like that. And um, so we were going to draft him 100% in 96. And um, Kevin just wanted to go the other way. So we went another way, and we didn't draft him. And he, he, he couldn't believe it. Neville Stibbard was the only other guy um, from North Melbourne who was a really, really good recruiter. He put a business card under his door. That's the only other contact he had. That, that yeah. one irked me a bit, yeah.
2: Yeah, fair enough. He became a special player, didn't he? Um, you're listening to This Is Your Journey. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. There's a bit more to come with Noel Judkins right after this. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. And we've had the company today of long-time VFL, AFL recruiter, Noel Judkins. All right, Noel, I'm running around for the Western Jets uh, this weekend as a promising 17-year-old. Now, you, you're you coming to take a look at me. What are you looking for?
0: Number one, good hands. If you're a fumbler, put a line through you. Done. It affects, it affects so many things in your game. It affects time. It affects your kicking, it affects your confidence. And you think of all the sports that involve a ball, they all they all evolve around hands, even golfers. Your hands do most of the work. A tennis player, anything that revolves around a ball, you've got to have good hands. And, yep. You know, you can look at, you know, hand, good hands can make up for lack of pace. Uh, ask Greg Williams, ask Joe Watson, those guys who had just sensational And, you know, hurdy not, you talk about Herdy, and you think about cricketers like um, Mark Taylor and 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 people in slips, you, know, uh, warned, have all, you don't hear the ball hit their hands. You never heard the ball hit Herdy's hands. It, it, some, sometimes you hear a big slap when the uh, uh, when a guy takes a mark. It was like syrup with Herdy. It was like the ball would go into his hands. And, <laughs> yeah. and you'd hear it at training. You'd yeah. never hear the ball slap into his hands. And he was the same. We are going to cry. Never fumble. Oh, I, just,
2: um, I just remember Hurdie always licking the fingers on the on the lead on the way in just to make sure of it. Um,
0: yeah, what, what, it's funny, isn't it? That's yeah. uh, that's my number one. I don't know about everybody else, but that's my number one. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, what comes second? Like, what about something like competitiveness?
0: Yeah. Look, you could put them all in a line. Competitiveness, right? Yeah, no problem. You know, I saw just a something I'd never really, really thought of. It was 2011, and I was. I went back down to uh, Collingwood because I used to go down three or four times a year. And I was sitting with Bucks in his office and we're talking away. And, you know, he said, you know, what do you look for? What do you do this? You know, we talked for about an hour. Hmm. And because it got on really well, he's a fantastic person. And um, he said, what what do you like? I said, hands. He said, oh, yeah, that's about number two or three with me. And I said, well, what's number one? What do you got number one? He said, love the game. And I sort of looked at him and said, oh, geez, I've really never put it like that. He said, no, if you don't love the game, you won't do the extra work, you won't push yourself. And he said, love the game's number one. But don't, right. but don't,
2: w- wouldn't all kids in that position love the game, or is that a naive assumption? No,
0: no, no, definitely not. Ah, oh, no. You go and interview some kids, and they just play, they play footy because they're good at it, but they don't love it. Yeah, right. They, they wouldn't do the extra thing, they wouldn't do the extra effort, they wouldn't do the extra weight, they wouldn't run the extra 600, you know, they wouldn't take a ball home and have a, or have a brand new ball at home and you know, play with it while they're watching TV. Have it beside them in the car. Pick it up at the lights. or they wouldn't do anything like that. Yeah. They just turn up, play, train, and play. But, you know, complain about training. Complain, complain about having to be at the club at so and so. That a lot of guys, you know, I've interviewed heaps of them. You know, they don't really love the game, and I'd never really put it there till Bucks had mentioned
2: it to me. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and and I guess the things that now, I guess, the modern day, I would guess anyway, from the outside looking in, that the modern day game requires that um, perhaps above and beyond what the game used to, and I'm speaking of things like, um, you know, a big tank, um, endurance, uh, especially the ability to make good decisions and to distribute. Like, are those things now, have they gone up the pecking order to some degree?
0: I'd say, yes, they have, but most of those things were always... A necessity, mm. um, like as I said a minute ago, they're all on the line. You know, kicking efficiency. Like you can go and watch some kids, and they've just got the most beautiful style kicking. and say, gee, he's a great kick. And then you sort of sum it up, but he doesn't hit any targets. <laughs> and you go, oh, okay, he's he's a beautiful kick, but Jesus. He's missed four or five targets out of the last 10. And you go, oh, better watch that. So, you know, um, competitiveness, uh, attitude to teammates, coachability. Like, is he coachable? That's one of the things you've got to think of. You, you know, know, is he, is the individual just going to go and do his own thing? Or is he coachable? Can he understand what they call now the structures? Does he know where to be? At certain times of the game, when there's a you know a boundary thrown on the half back line, does he know where to be? Does he know who to be on? Where to be on? Where is he attentive enough? Does he listen to the coach's instructions? Can he pick them up? Can he relay them to other people? Uh, all those things are probably a little bit more um, emphasised than they were years ago. Especially when I was playing, you just went out and played, and you kicked it to your teammate. But these things are, more, you know, there's there's a fair bit of uh, what you might call overcoaching now, but. If they don't abide by the structure, they don't get a game the next week. But there's a lot of things. You know, you brought up competitiveness. Well, you know, that, you should say that's number one. And I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with it. Yeah.
2: Hey, Noel Jokins, great to chat to you. I mean, they say do what you love. Clearly you've done that and you've done it for a long period of time. The success rate given, you know, the high degree of difficulty is amazing and there must be a satisfaction in you. That comes from seeing young footballers grow into what you see in them as, as youngsters. So, well done on everything you're doing. We appreciate you sharing your story with us today.
0: Oh, uh, that's great, Sam. I just mentioned one thing about your sponsor. Sure. Tobin Brothers. My mum and dad died in '86, and who did I use? Tobin Brothers. And um, they were sensational.
2: Oh, that's nice, Noel. Uh, They make it all possible here. It's nice to have those words. Uh, They celebrate lives. In fact, you can jump online to find them, tobinbrothers.com.au, and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.